Dear Mr. Hammett. Dear Miss Smith. Dear Mr. Goldberg, thank you for your thank recent you for application to the role of assistant producer. We're currently reviewing all applications and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. You can browse other vacancies at blah, 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 Due to the high volume of applications, we're writing to inform you that unfortunately we won't be taking your application any further. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Jobs Board, the young journalist podcast trying to navigate our way through an underwater seaweed patch of murky job prospects. Um, I'm Ollie Hammett. With me is George Goldberg. Hi there. And joining me on the virtual line today is also my third co-host, Bryony Smith. Hello. How are we doing today, guys? I'm doing really well after that poetic intro. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know what happened there. It just just came to me. Um, the seaweed thing. It's not really. It's not that relatable. Um, I've never personally been stuck in a seaweed patch. I imagine it'd be awful. I can imagine it'd be quite difficult. Anyway, uh, welcome to Jobs Board as we um, make our way through March. And today we have a very, very special episode. Uh, so we're not going to mess around too much with our intro. But today we have got two people on from the journalist's charity. And without further ado, I think we'd better get them on. So please welcome from the journalist charity CEO James Brindle and Ellen Bramley. Hey guys, thanks for having us. Oh no, welcome, welcome. Um, How are we doing out there? Where where are we, where are you calling from today? Do you know, I suppose it could be anywhere, couldn't it? Because we're all in our (laughs) microverses of doing very tedious things every day. I'm based in the Midlands and I haven't left the Midlands for about six months now. So I'm in the fine city of Nottingham. Ah. Is that is that close to you, George? Um, I don't I'm in know. Northamptonshire, which if you explain that to people, they think it's somewhere up towards Scotland. But I suppose it is Midlands. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even I know it's not Scotland and my geography is not perfect. <laughs> James, first of all, uh, tell us a little bit about your background in journalism and how it's led you to be where you are today. Well, often people say that I really don't look like a charity CEO, um, which I take as a compliment, although lots of charity CEOs look perfectly fine. I think they expect me to look older, perhaps wearing a cardigan and, you know, sort of still have muesli in my beard or something. Um, And I think, you know, there's a lot of perceptions about what the charitable sector is like and just like journalism it's it's moving on very quickly but um i was a journalist for getting on for 18 years and i absolutely loved it i was so lucky to have a really varied career and um you know in many ways i still think that i am a journalist because being part of the journalist charity helps me to keep in touch with what's happening in the industry have speak to um guys like you and um i think it just it helps me take all the stuff that I did in journalism and apply it to trying to make life better for existing journalists, retired journalists and new journalists. But I mean, in terms of my, my sort of background is kind of how long have you got really? I think to, to shrink it down a bit, I worked in mainly broadcast, mainly in news. Um, but as I say, I had a slice of everything. I was a reporter, TV reporter, radio reporter, producer, editor, I worked at the BBC as a staffer for 13 years, as an 
at an indie for two years, supplied stuff to them, set up channels, worked locally, regionally, nationally, internationally. Um, yeah, really, I feel really, really lucky to have done all that stuff because I'm not particularly talented. Um, and in, in that period, I worked, worked with a lot of talented people as well and met some great people in the industry. I think it's a fantastic industry, which is why I'm kind of still in it, but from a different perspective. Yeah, so obviously you've sort of switched up your focus on journalism. And what, what was it that sort of sparked that for you? Well, you know, I think... If you value journalism, which I do, like you guys care about journalism, you don't want to be journalists just because. You want to do it because it's an amazing profession. It really makes a difference. And I've, I've witnessed that. I've lived days in my career where I've saved people's lives or you've made a massive difference to people's families or you've, you've helped impact like positive change. That is the power you have as a journalist. It is incredible. It is absolutely the real deal. And, um, you know, that kind of feeling for me has never gone away. So with the journalist charity and what we do, I kind of see us as the fourth emergency service. You know, the industry's tough. It's tough in any year, let alone the last year. So you can imagine the kind of things that we are able to do is offer support when people are going through a difficult time, whether it's through stresses and strains, illness, mental health impacts, whether it's financial, um, financial stuff. You know, lots of people have had money worries in the last year and all kinds of other stuff too. But you know, ultimately, we're there to help the journalists that make up our incredible industry. So it's, you know, it's like being that fourth emergency service on call to help to do our bit and to make sure journalists can carry on going out there and doing what they do well. Yeah, um, hear, hear. Um, now, Ellen, um, you are the industry relations manager for the journalism charity, and you're someone who's sort of um, kick-starting their career by, by working uh, for this organization. What what are the chief problems that journalists are facing right now and how can the journalism charity help? I think as a charity, the biggest challenge that we will have to overcome is actually reaching out to people digitally. Because I think, you know, we're such a personable charity. Charities are kind of, we deal with very private matters. And I think the best way to tap into people and connect with people and really create a really trusting relationship with with people with our beneficiaries is to come and speak to them on a kind of personal level on a one-to-one level and that's something we've been able to do previously before my time here actually because ever since I was employed in the back end of September we've just been basically in lockdown so I think when I initially started this job the vision was for me to go around newsrooms around the UK and speak to or newsrooms and different events and network with journalists all over the the UK and speak to them about our support services and how we can help and make sure people were comfortable with us as a charity and that they felt like they trusted us. And I think we've really had to innovate in this kind of past five, six months to have that same personal effect with people and connect with people and make sure that we're trusted and that we're a charity that people feel like that they can rely on. But doing that through a really impersonal platform digitally, so like connecting with people through social media and through our website and emails and things, you know, it's just not the same as speaking to people on a personal level about their their private issues and how we can support them. So 
I think that's something that's tough, but I think we've actually done quite well in this past six months, if I do say so myself, at, at trying to kind of explore new ways that we can speak and reach out to these journalists and make sure that they feel like we're a really reliable organisation that they can fall back on when, when they need us. And I think as long as we have that kind of reputation, hopefully new journalists people that are entering the industry will be more encouraged to enter in the first place. As I said before, people are generally so passionate in this industry and so supportive of one another as well. I think the kind of Facebook groups that I've been involved in to kind of spread our message, it's been filled with journalists that are really kind of supportive of one another's careers. So people will signpost one another to different jobs and people offer to kind of look over people's CVs and I think it's such a supportive network of people journalism is generally speaking that's why I found anyway that um we should really kind of harness that in in our in our charity as well and try and push that as best we can whilst we're not able to speak to people face to face and still have that that warm kind of reputation and feeling, um, but through these digital platforms. There are, there are all the old fashioned problems that sometimes people have financial difficulties um, coupled with, I would, I think it's fair to say the industry is facing the biggest challenge ever. I mean, there are new opportunities and there are definitely reasons to be cheerful, but the industry is going through this fundamental shift, which has probably been underway for maybe you know 10 years ish, maybe longer, maybe slightly less. So that poses a, a big challenge, um, along with, you know, new tech and the relationship between the likes of Facebook and Google. So I think if you were to list the issues, you've got financial problems, mental health problems. I mean, Northampton isn't in the north, as we know. You know if, you, <laughs> if you imagine living a long way from the centre of journalism, just doing a, a work placement is going to be tough. But, um, like, you go through university and you get debt, unless you're very, very lucky, and then you have to take on more kind of risk and cost in order to go into journalism, usually because most people have to work in London. I mean, yes, there are regional centres and there are some fantastic regional local centres and Media City, Glasgow, Bristol, da, 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 but still London is like the capital of journalism and it's increasingly expensive in relation to what you earn. So, so what are some of the ways that um, the charity can help young journalists be better able to achieve their careers. I heard you talking about the um, the jobs that were advertised at GB News recently, and um, it was really interesting because it really, when I was listening to you talk about that, it was like rewinding to the beginning of my career and how I felt about um, starting out. And I think the thing to reiterate is it, it is tough. It's a very, very, very tough industry. It's designed to be tough. If you're not tough, you're not going to make it. And so it's kind of part of the initial recruitment process. But it's, it's essentially the challenge of getting into the industry, which you often face, because, you know, in loads of other, um, you know, you again, you were talking about graduate recruit, recruitment schemes. They are still tough. But if you decide you want to be an accountant, the chances are you'll get a job as an accountant. You know, if you want to be a journalist, very few people walk out of university and get staff jobs. That's just a fact. And if any of you gets a job at GB News, I will do a forfeit. And that's not because I don't have um, faith in you. It's just that it's 
super tough. And if I was recruiting, as I have done, I would want people that have got lots of experience in rolling news. And that doesn't mean that you won't get a job there eventually, but it's just an extra layer of challenge in terms of what does your CV look like in terms of experience? What skills are you able to demonstrate? How, you know, what are you, are you kind of open ready? Um, and I think that's maybe what differs between journalism and accountancy in that, you know, someone's going to do a nice six week induction for you at said accountancy firm. And it's much more structured in terms of how you, you know, get to know your firm. And that's not to say there's no training in journalistic organisations before editors write to me and complain. It's not about that. It's just, you you know, it is more about hitting the ground running. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, interesting comment about that forfeit there, by the way. You've sort of signed a blank check for if anyone actually does get a job there. We'll come back to that later. I keep my promises. <laughs> I, keep, I, I keep my promises. I mean it. Um, sorry, you asked about uh, the, the structure yes. stuff. And I think that we... Are, we've been working on something for a long time, which we're about to launch, and we want to be able to offer help to journalists who are new to the industry. Uh, and it's quite difficult to know exactly what that might mean because it really, really depends on your circumstances. But for example, you live in the north of Scotland and you've got a job in London and everything's great, but you just can't afford to move there. And that's, I think, a fairly feasible scenario. So the charity might help you move to your job. Um, or support you with some other costs. Because I think it's those um, barriers for people working in journalism that if they decided not to do it because of something like that, that would be a, a real shame. And I think things like that do happen perhaps more than we realise. Mm, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, it's all too common, unfortunately. And we've, we're, kind of, we're talking to you today because you've got a new initiative coming up to try and help out young journalists. So tell us about that. <laughs> Yeah, so this is, um, as I mentioned, something we've been working on for quite a while. And um, the idea really is to support journalists who are either just about to get their first job, like they've got an offer. So if you imagine being that, that potential journalist in somewhere far flung on the north coast of Scotland and you get your offer letter and you get your salary and you get your contract, maybe maybe it's a six-month contract or a 12-month contract and you're you have to make a decision about whether you go ahead with it because it's you're going to have to say move to London or Salford or Bristol, uh, and there's quite a lot of cost involved in that relocation. So at that point, depending on your circumstances, we might be able to help you financially. Um, equally, we've spoken to, I mean, you know, everyone's circumstances are different. You know, you might be required to use your car for work, and maybe it blows up, and you need it, and you can't afford to fix it. So that again might be something that we could help with. Um, if you're a freelance, I, I freelanced for two years when I started work and um, I had my own equipment. Um, this ages me, but mini disc player, a microphone, uh, eventually got a camera. And if I dropped or lost or damaged any one of those pieces of kit, I wouldn't have been able to work because it wasn't provided at the time. So, you know, that could be the kind of thing that the charity would look at helping with. You know, if you're working and you're earning and you need that piece of kit, then it's something that perhaps we could support you to help carrying on being a journalist. It sounds like you're pretty open-minded in terms of what the criteria is for someone to qualify for funding or a grant. But how does it? How do you practically decide on who gets it and who who don't? And how many people have been supported or helped so far? Um, okay, so that's a really good question. I mean, so far 
we've we've supported journalists who have been working for a certain period of time. So the criteria of the charity since it was started more than 150 years ago has been the same. You've had to be you've had to be a working journalist. So you've had to demonstrate that you've actually been working in the industry for at least a couple of years. So this is a new thing. And in terms of how you assess it, I mean, it's really difficult one because we want to be open to people and we want to invite people to to get help. But equally, this is a this is funds that you might donate to. So it's important that we scrutinize applications properly so that we're not helping somebody who doesn't need help and that all our charitable funds are going in the right direction. So if you applied, you'd be expected to give some information about your background and your finances. It's not particularly onerous and you can apply online, but you'd have to give evidence that you're working. So, for example, you might say, as I mentioned earlier, that you'd got a job offer and you needed help with a specific element of the move, whether it's um, your deposit or your relocation fees or um, perhaps some furniture or, as I mentioned, equipment or something else. So that's what would happen. And then it would be we'd probably have a conversation back and forth and then it's be considered by the charity for approval or not. How quickly does that process take place? Because I'm just thinking if someone's been offered a job, you might have to respond within you know, a couple of weeks or, or you might accept the job and then have a notice period that you're working to. How, how quickly is the turnaround once you've sort of given the journalist charity all the information? Well, typically at the moment, we, um, we will always try and work with applicants. And as you can imagine, in the last year, we've dealt with applicants who have been absolutely desperate. You know, so COVID hit people for six and we were able to give support sometimes in the same day. So, we, well, you know, if you've got children to feed and you're worried about paying your bills and you've, all your income's gone, that's kind of our obligation. And going back to what I was saying about being an emergency service, you can't be an emergency service and not give an emergency response. So we don't, pro- we don't always promise that, but I think, you know, we're always going to try our best to be able to... Um, get what you need and so far you know the team is great it's a small team but they're really kind of connected to people's needs and the situation and you know we'll do our best to work with you if you need an answer quickly and you mentioned about funding is is all your money come does it come from fundraising and and people's donations how does that work yeah primarily it does because um just to take you back um there's a bit of kind of history which I think the more I find out about the charity, the more interesting it is. But it was founded by um, Charles Dickens and um, a group of amazing yeah, Charles Actual Dickens, yeah. And, yeah, not just some random writer, you know. So who, who was a journalist? He was a parliamentary journalist. And it, with a group of other parliamentary journalists decided that they needed some support from because – I mean, we can't possibly imagine what it was like in 1864, but there was no welfare state, there was no NHS, people's life expectancy was hardly anything. (laughs) There were not many displays, not even in 1865. Um, So, yeah, it was was kind of a tough time. And um, they had to really lobby hard with some of the, um, some of the sort of big um, media moguls of the day, if you will, but what another really interesting fact is one of the first biggest private donations came from Queen Victoria. Wow. So she gave a personal donation of £5,000. and um, Which was probably a lot of money then. It was. Uh, it was a massive amount of money. And Queen Victoria wasn't known for being, you know, a jolly soul <laughs> um, at that point in her life. Um, so she later became 
the charity's patron after granting royal patronage. But basically, that those beginnings tell the story for the rest of the history, which is media um, moguls right the way down to working journalists have contributed over the years. And that's built up um, an investment fund which helps to fund donations to an extent. And then we also have to fundraise um, from the industry and from private individuals to make up what we need. So it's a bit, it's a bit of a combination, but we absolutely rely on journalists and people, uh, members of the public to support us, people that care about journalism. And they, they do, which is amazing. So if there's someone that's currently listening to Jobs Board right now and they are thinking that this first jobs fund, which is opening on the 15th, and they feel like they might need to seek assistance, where can they go exactly uh, to apply for this and how long will the period be open? They can go to our uh, our website. It's... Um they will easily find what, they, um, what they're what they looking for. But if you just go forward slash first jobs fund or you keep your eye on our socials, there'll be tons of ways in. And there's um, a really easy to follow information page and there's an online application form which you can, you can do on your phone or your tablet or your PC. Um, it doesn't take that long to complete. And um, yeah, we expect that we'll get back to people as soon as we can or if it's urgent, um, you know, we'll try and work with them. But you know what's really difficult, being honest with you? It's difficult to know how many applications we're going to get because this is brand new. We've never done anything like this in 156 years. And um, so, you know, we have to look at the next few weeks and months as as a bit of a test to see what the demand is like and what that will mean in terms of what we can afford to do. So obviously dead excited to to roll it out. Um, Maybe we can speak again in the future about how, how it's going. Um, well, the very best of luck to you. Um, I'm sure you managed to do it ably. Uh, let's move it along then. As the ground beneath us shakes and all the animals start to run away as our fearsome ATS steps into the arena of Jobs Board opposite our guest, Ellen Bramley. It's time for us to have a look at your CV, Ellen. Um how are you feeling? Um, I haven't looked at my CV in a while, to be honest. Um, when I was furloughed last summer, just just before I got this job, I looked at it far too much. And I, as soon as I got employed by the journalist charity, I was like, I don't want to look at that in a very, very long time. So I'm a bit daunted at the moment, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what most of our guests say. Uh, and it normally turns out <laughs> all right, apart from four some of them. So I'm going to hand over to Mr. George Goldberg, who is our CV expert. Take it away, George. Thank you, Ollie. Yes, every single week we scan the CV of our guests and then we rank them. Uh, So this week we are going to subject Ellen's CV that she's uh, kindly offered to us. But what we do is we bung it into a robot called an applicant tracking system. And what this is, is Large organisations often use these pieces of software to help sift out um, applicants from the thousands to possibly the hundreds, possibly the tens, to help the recruiter's life a little bit easier. And what they often yeah. do is they kind of stick all the words on there and they all bung it into like one boring plain column. So looking at your CV, Ellen, how do you think a robot might cope with it? Um 
I mean, I would employ me, so <laughs> I think <laughs> I think it should gobble it up nicely. <laughs> okay, well, it's good that you it's good that you believe in yourself. <laughs> um, okay, George, how's Ellen done? Well, quickly before we ask Bryony to press the magical button for us, I'll do a quick rundown of our current leaderboard. So we've currently got Michelle in first place with 85 points. We then got Aaron in second with 81 points. And then it goes all the way down. Uh, seventh, Ayush with 70 points. And then we keep going down. Robin in 13th place with 56 points. So, Bryony, if you wouldn't mind pressing us the button... Good luck, Ellen. So, Ellen, out of 100, your CV scored 85. Wow. So it means that we now have a joint first place. Oh my god. Wow. Are you are you listening, Michelle? <laughs> Alan's coming for you. Wow, that's it seems amazing. To be season two. It seems to be everyone coming on season two is up in their game. It's making coming onto the top of yeah, the Did it did it turn green? Like, I think Michelle's turned green, didn't it? It did yeah. indeed. Has it turned green for Ellen's? It has. It's green with happiness. Well, it's, oh, uh, it's not the only one turning yes. green. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll quickly run through um, a couple of the pointers that it's raised and that it really likes. So it likes the amount of time that your CV takes to read, Ellen. Um, it's between two and three minutes uh, long. Readability-wise, it's really good. Um, it reckons that you've got a low amount of glue words. These are kind of filler words such as if, by, with. Um, so it thinks that you cut to the chase and that you do it well um, in a way that you don't undersell yourself because it's noticed with your sentences that they are between, on average, between 11 and 18 words. Um, so it's you explaining yourself adequately without waffling on. It thinks that you have used a good range of personal descriptive words such as happy, original, positive. Um, every single week we always mention this it always seems to struggle with spelling but hilariously it's uh, picked up on Sheringham so it's not quite liking <laughs> that part of the country um, but if you want to know um, what count. your skills are in Ellen it reckons that you're really good in communication and inter interpersonal skills organisation and planning critical thinking and leadership and management so does, does that sound like you? Happy days. I'll take all of that. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah sure. You, are you telling me that if Sheringham, which by the way is spelt right, it's the name of a house, if it, that wasn't identified as a misspell, then I would have been number one. It's, on the it's, yeah, it's probably it's a possibility. Safe yeah. Well, <laughs> Ellen, I don't know if you know this, but robots oh, are very no silly. Yeah, robots. Are, can I just make a point about how silly robots were? If we compare. We now have two joint leaders at the top. So we've got um, we've got Ellen, of course, and now we've got Michelle from a few weeks ago. And I've just I'm looking at Michelle's CV now, and it's completely different to Ellen's. So Ellen, um, what I really liked about your CV was you just kept it really simple. And as George says, you know, there's no sort of frills on it. It's just got all the information you need. It's concise. 
Whereas Michelle's is actually really formatted. It has, um, you know, a photo of her. It has columns. So it just goes to show that, you know, it is almost just completely random with these machines. Mm. Okay. It's time to progress to the final stage of the episode now, where, where we're going to suggest an alternative career to each of our guests. Now, um, what's been going on with this recently? I still haven't won a single one this year. <laughs> Bryony's been doing very well. Uh, but last week, George won last week, didn't he? Yeah, George's, you know, tangential nonsense. <laughs> For one, no offense, George, but um, has has been doing quite well recently. George has really survived this game, hasn't he? Yeah, he's won a Yeah, I mean, now. I learned a lesson there, so I've I've come to play this week. I'd say, and if I can't get one out of two, then uh, there's just no hope. <laughs> three, we're three months into the year. <laughs> um, okay, so James, are you there? Let's see what we've got. Uh, who'd like to go first, guys? Ollie, you go first. All right, I'll go first. I'll go first. Let's do this. So I've uh, actually, what I've traditionally done for this section is to Twitter stalk our guests. And I've not been doing that recently, but uh, today I've returned to my old ways. Um, and I've been going on James's Twitter and I noticed a tweet from last year. I oh, you really scrolled back. <laughs> yeah, I really went back. So in October last year, you went for a lovely autumnal walk. And I saw that you're, a, you're quite a fan of trees and the autumnal conversion um, of nature. And you said, uh, you took a lovely photo of a red tree with red leaves. And you said, pretty much peak Acer. Yes. Um, How bored we all are in various lockdowns. (laughs) Well, I've found uh, a job at a, um, I guess, I guess you'd call it kind of a, a sort of charity initiative, maybe. Um, (laughs) um, And essentially, uh, they are an organisation that are looking for a senior business development manager, and they are a charity that plants trees. Okay. Lovely. Um, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you'd be respo- it's based in Newcastle upon time, but working remotely for now. Oh, that's handy. Yeah. So I can plant them any I can plant them anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess, you know, I guess you could take a role. Well I don't think you would be planting the this this pays forty grand a year, so I don't think you'd be planting trees necessarily. Ooh. It's more of a but I thought you've had good experience of managing uh, an organization like this you could easily transfer those skills and take your passion for restoring nature uh, along with you yeah <laughs> i like it that's um yeah well like, look with that kind of research i'm going to be straight on to andrew neil recommending you for a job at gb news because you've clearly got a gift <laughs> i mean uh i think i think, um, I think andrew neil's very busy from what i hear yeah, yeah. No, I, that's um, that sounds like a great thing. Well, we need more trees, do we not? Because they're always being cut down. And um, yeah, I like trees very much, although they are a constant menace wherever I live. There always seems to be a tree outside the window shedding leaves or seeds or <laughs> debris onto my, you know, car head or person yeah. <laughs> 20, 24 hours a day. So yeah, I would like to plant some trees. The way um, you've just said that, James, it sounds quite menacing that trees are following you. <laughs> Yeah, I think they are. I think that is some kind of Orwellian scheme that's going on, that trees are indeed following me. So. Uh, 
Okay, um, Bryony. Okay, I've gone with a fail-safe approach, which is go seasonal, go topical. <laughs> so after my win with Pancake World a couple of weeks ago... Oh, yeah, that did, that did work very I, well. This week, I've gone for a Mother's Day packer position. <laughs> I can already tell you're intrigued by what this involves, because I was. A, a packer? <laughs> yeah, Mother's Day packer position. So... This company is currently recruiting a number of general operatives to support a client with their Mother's Day operation. The position is based in Peterborough and it will involve packing flowers and Mother's Day goods. Mm. I know. I like I really like the sound of that. There's a variety of shifts available, James, as well. You could work 8am to 8pm or 8pm to 8am. <laughs> So just the, just the twelve hour shifts available. Yeah, then, the packet. You, know, you can work half your day or the other yeah, half. Yeah, well, I day. like that that it was right. eight till eight, or or you could do eight to eight the other. Or, or maybe eight to eight. Yeah, that made me laugh. Um, <laughs> At least they're up front. So yeah. what, what I was intrigued by is it doesn't actually give any details of what is meant by Mother's Day goods. I was thinking, you know, is that hamper? Is that cards? Is that They've already mentioned flowers, obviously, but, you know, chocolates. Think of all the things you could be getting your little mitts into. I like it. I like that a lot. Because you know what? I mean, sometimes I've been asked in the past when I've been doing um, particularly TV jobs. You know, when you watch TV, it doesn't matter what it is, you see the credits at the end. And there's usually one, if not a million, exec producers. And I've been an exec producer at various points. And you get paid quite a lot of money for not doing very much. And it reminds me of... um, being younger and doing packing like you're suggesting so it's actually quite cathartic and quite good when you're not, you know not really earning for your money when you think back and think that you spent 12 hours packing something random into a space that you nearly always mash your hands and yeah it's a good suggestion okay okay not done too badly there um goldberg well i think i'm going a bit of i'm departing from my tangential special here because no i'm gonna go with a slightly serious one because i did find on the journalist charity uh, website there's a lovely article written about ellen and the title of it says meet ellen our new industry outreach champion and i went down a proper rabbit hole of champion i was thinking olympian athlete all these type of things i was like no 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 right so i've combined kind of the the sort of the best of both worlds here i found a charity job and a broadcast job combined so my job is a podcast producer for the un refugee agency oh wow that is really good Uh, and it is indeed a unique opportunity as it says here uh, to join a high-performing communications team and be part of uh, creating events to mark their 70-year um, anniversary of their operations. So, a bit of a serious one. So I suppose it's a bit of a, a tangential from my tangent. <laughs> yeah, you've deviated from your tangent. Yeah, George, I think you're cheating. It's too good a position. Oh, God, that's quite good. I wasn't expecting that from you, George. James, what do you think about that? Do you know it's too poly- it's too good, isn't it? It's too good. I'm not I'm not sure it should be allowed. Yeah, it's too good. Try harder next time. <laughs> um, yeah, and you know if we work back to the inspiration, like where was the inspiration from again? I mean, there was some proper research going on in the other ones. Um, no, obviously it sounds. Did you say it was for the United Nations? 
Uh, it's for the uh, UN Refugee Agency, so the UNHCR. Okay, and where's that based these days? It's in London, and it says it's temporarily remote, so you could be anywhere. So you could be mm. in Northampton, if you want, where I am, <laughs> where it's nice and sunny. I could, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've not even bought me a drink yet, but thanks. <laughs> yeah, probably this time of year. Um, wow. Okay, so what do I do? I mean, am I ranking yes, them here? One of <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, radio is my first love. It's um, it's incredible, and there are so many times when I think back to really, really happy days in radio, doing the most amazing stuff with great teams. Um, I don't think I've ever had as much fun um, or felt as good about what I do, and um, that was doing stuff like you guys are doing now, really, sort of making content for all kinds of different places and audiences. So the idea of doing that is something I could not walk away from if I was given another chance, for sure. So you're going with George's? I'm going with you. I'm not sure where I'm going to be based yet. I'm going to think about that. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, look, they've, got, they've all got their merits because we need more trees because we've chopped most of them down, or I have mainly, because they follow me around. And uh, we need to pack stuff because it's important to get stuff and i've done my fair share of packing envelope packing i did when i was a kid and it was really difficult and you used to cut your hands and i used to hate it mm. but honestly it was good for me because i think everyone needs to do something like that even if you don't need to do it you should do it because it's good for the soul and in life we all get told what to do sometimes and that's another reminder when you're doing something um, that you know it's kind of contributing so they've all got their merits but um yeah i would love the chance to do some radio again yeah, I think that is, yeah, well done, George. That was definitely the best one. <laughs> well done, um, George. But, yeah, what a fair play there. Uh, now, though, I have a second bite at the apple. Ellen, I've gone down a similar line here. Uh, so I've picked another charity. Um, and what the, what it is, it's a program officer um, for gender equality in government relations so I thought international relations, in the EMEA region, so Europe, Middle East, and Africa. And it's at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Uh, it's a limited-term assignment, but with opportunity for further employment starting in March or April this year. Uh, it wants to understand and shape the public policy debates affecting the foundation's work, uh, build support for its major programme, and it has a lot of regional offices, so there's chances for travel. Nice, nice. I'm always looking for an opportunity to travel, so that's a big tick from me already. Um, you're right, I have done a, a good study in international relations, and I actually, my dissertation was in was based in uh, Palestine, so wow. the Middle East, so that's, a, that's another little connection there. Um, it sounds very appealing. Okay. That's a solid, um, fairly enthusiastic reaction registered there. Um, Bryony, what have you got? Well, like you, I've gone down a similar route. So we've had the Mother's Day packer, but now what about <laughs> a flower picker? I don't know if you've seen in the news, there's been a lot of reports about daffodils not being picked this year because of a lack of pickers. So you could rectify this by getting involved yourself. You will be growing a range of quality products. They talk about microcress, interesting, herbs, and baby and micro vegetables. 
pea shoots, edible leaves, and flowers. I mean, who's not excited by the fact of a, of a micro vegetable? They've got a reputation for quality. They've invested a lot in the last year to improve their packing and storage facilities. But as I said, in the news the last week, there's been a lot of reports, particularly about daffodils not being picked and bright yellow fields because they haven't got to the supermarkets and stores quick enough or picked quick enough. So maybe you could be helping pick the vital fruit, the vegetables, and flowers of this country. You made it sound like, you know, the part of the war effort. <laughs> It is. You'll be doing a great job. No, it, it is vital. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> what do you think about that? I do like a daffodil. I do like a daffodil. I think they're a great addition to the kitchen, the sitting room, the bedroom. Um, Any, anywhere, you know? They're just happy, aren't they? Any room in the house, they just look fantastic. And also, you can get them for a pound, which I love, because flowers are a proper bump. But... Mm. Uh, daffodils you can get for a pound and you can get them probably for free if you pick them so yeah but it's by <laughs> stealing them from your idea. local roundabout <laughs> <laughs> we do not condone that here at job squad <laughs> and finally george what have you got for ellen um ellen i found an article on you uh that did describe you as a champion i was thinking who wins awards so i was thinking athletes uh, so I have found for you, Ellen, a to be a part-time athlete at a certain shoe store. What? What? <laughs> uh, I won't. I won't say. I won't say what it is. But it's um, it's what they call their sales associate. So it's like Subway, where they sandwich oh. artists. Oh. You're a part-time athlete. So you can utilise your customer service skills, which I did see the CV robot did pick up that thought that you'd be good at, um, along with using uh, good customer connection skills, which I think that's communication. So I think, again, you tick that off on your CV um, and you're able to build a strong bond between the consumer and this brand. And I'm sure that they will chuck in uh, some free shoes in as well. So does that sound tempting to you, Ellen? I mean, I was... I was verging more towards the Bill and Melinda uh, Foundation, but the free shoes are appealing. So, it... yeah, but that also means you have to deal with people's feet, Ellen. Don't forget this that. This is true. This is true. I mean, to be honest, they're, they're three fantastic options, guys. Um... <laughs> <laughs> You're really spoiling me here. Mm, yes. <laughs> I think in terms of climbing the career ladder and i'm i'm going to be sensible here and i'm going to go with bill and melinda yes oh. well done ollie oh my god i this sounds really sad but i've actually just punched the air <laughs> <laughs> in my in my bed <laughs> that's Ollie's first oh my god oh, i feel like i've finally been let into the club after like at one in the morning <laughs> you've been excluded for yeah. so long <laughs> <laughs> one in the morning oh the good old days <laughs> oh god thank you so much ellen i'm very very grateful well deserved uh, well okay well i hope you i hope you do get to work with bill and melinda one day and uh you'll control the world with their vaccine initiative <laughs> um if you can't beat them join them us uh, okay so just one more time guys um how can people get in touch with the journalism charities initiatives well i think you know the first thing is we are coming out with new stuff all the time 
So if you are a journalist or you're at university or you're freelancing, the best thing to do is to connect with us on socials. You can also join our kind of support army and you get updates, you know, every now and again. It's not like kind of bombarding your email at eight o'clock every morning wanting to, you know, make you do something. We just keep in touch. So I'd say that you do that so that you get all the info first off. So I think that's probably the best um, the best option, just to check in with us every now and again, because you never know when we're up to something that might help. And I think, you know, it's all about saying that if we care about journalism, then we should look out for each other. And, you know, that's about us supporting other organisations or letting people know what's happening elsewhere, because there are lots of organizations and charities that are doing great work that you might not you might not hear about so i think one of the things that we can really all do our bit at the moment is about shouting about other people's um stuff which is what you're doing for us so we really appreciate that because yeah like i said if you care about journalism and you value what it does then it's really important so yeah i couldn't have put it better myself um thank you again to both of you it's been a real treat having you on um, and thank you for joining in with uh, the podcast format. And yeah, good luck with everything. And people, you know, if you ever, if you're a young journalist out there who needs a bit of a leg up, then get in touch with the journalism charity. Indeed. Thank you very much. Thank you. And good luck to you guys. Because um, you know what? Um, I was saying to Ellen the other day, I think I've interviewed about 500 people. I couldn't even remember how many people it was. But, um, you know, it's tough. But it's great when people who care break through and it will happen um it took me years um but i had a great career in journalism so you know you just got to stick at it keep positive keep focused and follow those tips and you'll make it well you heard it here first guys um thank you for listening to jobs board this week as ever uh you can find us on twitter and instagram at jobs board and you can email us at hello.jobsboard at gmail com. I've been Ollie Hammett. Uh, goodbye from George Goldberg. Goodbye. And goodbye from Bryony Smith. Goodbye.